walking in a country road And I've been chasing after my shadow Welcome back to the Camino Podcast, episode 51. I'm Dave Woodson. Nobody asked me my name. And I had so much fun rewalking the pilgrimage to Finisterre back in episode 48 that I just didn't want to stop. So what was the next logical place to head? Just a little bit north to Coruña and Ferrol for a virtual jaunt on the Camino Inglés, of course. The Camino Inglés today is the ideal pilgrimage for the pilgrim with significant schedule constraints. At just 120 kilometers in length from Ferrol, or a mere 75 kilometers from Coruña, it can be completed in four days, or even more comfortably in five or six. It has a solid pilgrim infrastructure, especially from Ferrol, with excellent way marking and a decent array of albergues, though these do get strained in the high season. There are some tiring hills, of course, but otherwise the terrain is relatively gentle, and once you're out of those cities at the beginning, it's mostly through quiet and peaceful Galician countryside. You've even got a shot at a few beaches over the first couple of stages, along with the fresh seafood one might hope for from that proximity. It's a fantastic one-week experience, though you could certainly combine it with other routes like the Norte and Mar, or carry onward to Finisterre and Muxia. Historically, the English Camino earned its name because of the significant number of pilgrims traveling here by boat en route to Santiago from England. The English were not alone, though. Many others came in this fashion, especially Scandinavian pilgrims. Seafaring pilgrims were most likely to arrive in Coruña. These were often highly efficient, highly professional affairs, like modern tour groups signing up for a package deal with return travel, a formal trip leader, and a quick little walk to and from the boat. Sometimes this was merely a pit stop en route to the main event in the Holy Land. By contrast, few medieval pilgrims passed through Ferrol, whose port was used mostly for domestic trade. When it shows up in pilgrim logs, it tends to do so as a place to wait out bad weather before carrying onward. Some speculation exists that a prominent medieval family maybe the prominent medieval family in the area, the Andrades, actually stifled other trade and economic opportunities to maintain their dominance, and this precluded Federal's emergence as a proper rival to Coruña. At the same time, though, the Andrades were ultimately responsible for making the pilgrim route from Federal much more navigable by building a series of key bridges, including the very famous and very long one leading into Ponte Duime. You could say that the Andrades gaveth, and the Andrades tooketh. Given all of that, why is Ferrol the major starting point today? Well, you gotta walk 100 kilometers to earn the Compostela. And Ferrol, as I said, is around 120 kilometers from Santiago, while Coruña is less. For years, that completely prevented pilgrims from Coruña from earning the Compostela. However, in recent years, a change in policy opened the door to a new possibility. Pilgrims now can walk 25 kilometers of pilgrimage in their home country, documenting the walk with a local religious official, and then carry on from Coruña. After all, that's what those English and Scandinavian pilgrims would have done back in the day. In any case, that's more than enough context. 
and I'm antsy to get walking. I'm joined for this walk by two tremendously experienced pilgrims on the Camino Inglés. <laughs> really, just remarkable experience combined between the two of them. And I bet a euro you're familiar with at least one of them. I'll introduce them properly on the other side, in Ferrol, as we set forth once more on the Inglés. Johnny Walker Santiago is originally from Glasgow, Scotland. Johnny Walker is his pen name, which he has used as author of 16 Camino-related books which have been published. 25,000 of these have been sold with all proceeds going to Camino charities. Johnny lives in Santiago de Compostela. I'm joined as well by Sean Hampton from Andover, England, who has played an important part as well in developing mapping and elevation profiles in support of the Confraternity of St. James Guides that Johnny prepares. Thanks to both of you for joining me to talk about the Camino Inglés. It's great to have you here. Hi, Dave. Thank you for having us. So let's start with a little background. Sean, let's start with you. What's your pilgrimage background? How did you get into this? And what in particular has drawn your attention and interest to the Camino Inglés? I've got a kind of a, an unconscious and a conscious introduction to the Camino. My now wife I met in 1989 and her family are from Galicia on her mother's side. So quite regularly through the 90s and the 2000s, we travel back and forth to Galicia on family holidays. And the town that my mother-in-law's from, Berin, is actually on a crossroads of Camino routes. It's on the Camino Portugal interior route and also a variant of the Camino San Ambrose. So I kind of, in the back of my mind, I knew about the Camino, but never really had any interest in it, if, if I'm totally honest. But we used to take day trips up to Santiago and I can remember walking around the city not really seeing many pilgrims, if I'm honest, at that time, but just kind of knowing a little bit about the history. I'd been into the cathedral, I'd touched the tree of Jesse and things like that, done things which are quite significant, I suppose, at the time, but I didn't realise it. Wind forward a few years, it was coming up to my 40th birthday in 2007, and I wanted to mark it in some way. And I'm not really a centre of attention guy, so I didn't want to party, but I thought maybe I could walk the Camino. Uh, that would be something significant for me and also be a bit of a nod to my wife's family. So decided to do that basically in 2007. So I got on the forum, asked various questions, did my investigations as, as you could on the internet at that time and just basically trained and walked in 2007, just walked the last 180 kilometers of the Camino San Abres from Verin into Santiago. I did it with a few friends who kind of heard about what I was doing and wanted to come along. So we organized a, a trip for four of us to do it. And then um, effectively walked every year. I think I missed a couple of years, but every year since then, only ever a week at a time because I work full time. But basically, that's it. So I've, I've walked the Camino Inglés, I think, six or seven times, Portuguese five times and out to Finisterre, that, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's just become a part of my life. Little did I know in 1989 what a significant part it would have. But that's my history, basically. And I found you when I was looking for some people to talk to for this episode because of that remarkable background that you have on the Inglés. And I wasn't going to rope Johnny in for this episode. We spoke a few years ago and talked a little bit about the Inglés then, but I didn't realize you had this background working with him and he was available. And how could I say no to Johnny Walker coming in and regaling us with stories about the Inglés as well? So John, I did check. It's been four years now. 
My goodness. Since I, yeah, it's been, it's been four years. How did that happen? I don't know. In the meantime, you've probably published six new guidebooks. I know that your memoir came out. What stands out for you in terms of your, your pilgrimage life over these last few years? To start at the, at the end, and then I'll go back to the beginning, I've stopped writing guidebooks and I've stopped updating my guidebooks. So the guidebooks are a thing of the past. Wow. But in 2007, I decided to walk my first Camino. And I'd been thinking about this for a very, very long time. I wanted to make a big change in my life, to be honest with you. I wanted to give up the lifestyle that I had, the jobs that I was doing. I wanted to move to Spain. I wanted to retire. I'd kind of promised myself in my life that when I had enough money to satisfy my needs, if not all of my desires, then I would try to have a change of lifestyle. I started off from Seville, on the 2nd of January, 2007, and I walked the Via de la Plata. I looked back at Seville and I thought, this is the place I've fallen in love with. And I was going to Seville every year for about six or seven years, playing the organ in a local church there. It was wonderful. I was sure I was going to retire to Seville. However, 36 days later, when I arrived in Santiago, and I sat in the cathedral and I was a pilgrim, the pilgrim's rucksacks were piled up. And the priest came out at the entrance procession and I I could see their boots underneath their robes. And I thought, this is the place for me. And so it became, but not yet. I thought about what I was going to do next and I wanted to walk more. So I spoke to Marion Marple, sadly has now passed away, who was the secretary of the Confraternity of St. James. And I said, what am I going to do now? And she said, I tell you what, if you've got a week or so, you could walk the Camino Inglés. And we've got some old walking notes that Patricia Quaif, one of the historians in the Confraternity, had produced. And we would love these to be updated. So off you go. And of course, <laughs> that is what I did. And I walked from Ferrol and I ended up basically writing the first full guidebook in English. But, you know, Dave, I was really struck by this very beautiful little five-day route. I didn't meet any other pilgrims. The the yellow arrows had faded. In that year, only 1,085 pilgrims received Compostela's having left from Farol. And now in 2019, 15,780 in 12 years. As part of that process, I came across a guy who became like a best friend. And that's Sean, who's sitting here, because he knew more about the Camino Inglés, certainly from Coruña, than I did. And we exchanged notes, and then he came to volunteer in Santiago, and we've been like blood brothers ever since. That's my story. Well, it's great to have you both here. And we're going to cut to the chase. We're going to go straight to Federal. We'll aim to pop over to Coruña in a little bit, but the overwhelming majority of pilgrims start in Federal because... It gets you over the 100-kilometer mark, and there's a workaround with Coruña these days, but still, Federal is the most common starting point. Let's say that a pilgrim arrives in Federal. They have an afternoon there before they begin walking the next day. What stands out to you about the city? What do you think they should try to see or do in the, the limited time that they're likely to have there? Sean, you go first. If I'm totally honest, when I've arrived in Farol, it's been late at night and I've literally gone to the hotel and then the next morning started out. One thing I've noticed that other people have done is that because the start of the Inglés is out kind of at the end of the town, kind of the marina area, 
is to maybe use that time to walk out there and start your Camino on that first day you arrive so that you don't have to walk out there the next morning and then basically retrace your steps coming back into town. So that's one thing to think about. Sean, I don't think there's much to see in for all. It's a, <laughs> it's a naval town. It's like Portsmouth. It's a naval town. It's got the headquarters of the Armada there. But it's got a very beautiful marina, I think. And the walk out of Farol along the coast is lovely. I've discovered that some hotels who are further up the town try to say to pilgrims, no, no, you don't need to go down to the port. We'll give you directions to cut off the first two or three kilometres. And I always say to pilgrims, please don't do this. Make your way down to the port, find the starting point and look at the steps. And you can imagine in the Middle Ages a boat tying up and they had maybe been in the water for two or three weeks sailing from wherever they were sailing and the, the pilgrims piling off, desperate for a drink, and then to walk down to Santiago. And I think it's really quite important that we, we try to walk in the footsteps of pilgrims who have gone before us. I recognize that issue the first time that I walked the Inglés. I did the exact same thing you did, Sean. I arrived in the dark and then I woke up early and started walking because when you're there to walk a pilgrimage, you're anxious to start your pilgrimage. Mm. But the last time I was there, I was scouting the Ruta do Mar. And so I came into Ferrol on foot and I came in along the coast. And there's a castle out there, Castello de San Felipe. It's right on the water. It's stunning. And you can walk then right along the coast all the way into Ferrol to the marina. It's a lovely walk. And for me, that's my best suggestion for people if they have half a day in Ferrol taxi out to the castle, enjoy the view back on the city, mm. stroll in, get your legs under you. And I did exactly what you suggested as well. I walked a few kilometers to a small hotel in Naron, just a little bit further on, took a little bit of the edge off the next day's start. So you have some options there. But as you said, Johnny, you need to go to the port. You need to be there to get things started. Thank you. And so then obviously people are going to cut up their stages in different ways. The way that we'll break it down, the first stage is, is a long one. It's 30 kilometers to Ponte Dueme. What stands out to you from the first half of that walk? If we think about it kind of breaking into two halves, you've got Ferrol to Neda and then Neda onto Ponte Dueme. What's most notable to you about that opening 10, 15 kilometers out to Neda? Well, a little known fact, Dave, is that the Pilgrim's Office in Santiago accept Neda as a starting point for the Compostela. Wow. And I'm sure that's still the case. It was certainly the case in my day when I was volunteering in the Pilgrim's Office because it's over 100 kilometres. So it's perfectly feasible for people to get to Neda. But I love walking beside the sea. But I'm a city boy, of course. And I remember starting off in Farol. There had been no sea on the Via de la Plata from Seville to Santiago. And I remember you just walk out, just maybe seven kilometres, an hour, an hour and a half, and you've got the sea on your right-hand side. I've done this subsequently. You can walk down, walk along the beach, take off your boots if you want, come back up again. I just thought it was glorious, a glorious introduction to a lovely five-day route. I can only echo that. I, I love walking by the sea. Although the outskirts of Farol aren't the prettiest on your left-hand side, on the right-hand side, you've just got this beautiful estuary and beaches that you can, as John says, you can go and walk down on. And it's just a great start to a Camino for me. In fact, the first two or three days, you know, you're in and out of those rias quite a lot. And it's just beautiful. And passing by the monastery, San Martino de Subia, it's a lovely spot there right on the coast. And the walk around Neda as well. 
it's interesting to me, there are now a lot of small root splits in this stretch. So beyond the big shortcut that one could take, you can now bypass the old mill. You can split and stick along the coast or go through Subia. So you have a lot of options there. Well, the route around the old mill, as you know, is still marked and you can still do it. It's pretty smelly um, <laughs> and, and run down. Whereas if you turn right with the way market turning right, you've got this glorious promenade mm-hmm. right along the river to the double hoop bridge that takes you over to the Albergue at Neda, or you can continue on a few hundred yards as the purists might want to, to the original medieval bridge. I must confess, I don't see any point in doing that, but never mind. And of course, Dave, what do you think of the so-called shortcut across the rail walkway, which takes you from the monastery that you referred to yeah. and cuts about nine kilometers off the route, I think? It's a significant savings. You know, I'm more of the purist. I'm happy walking all the way around through Neda. I can see for someone who needs to make it to Ponte Dueme on that first day, it makes it maybe more feasible if 30 kilometers is too much. Yes. I wouldn't hold it against someone, but I think you're missing out on some really nice walking. Some of the nicest walking, really, of the Camino Inglés. Yeah, I've got to agree with that. I think you're missing out if you take that shortcut. There's the stretch with the boardwalk just beyond Nada, which is a beautiful part of it as well. And you'd miss all that. If you could afford not to take that shortcut, I would recommend not doing it. Agreed. <laughs> all right. Consensus. <laughs> so there is an albergue in Nada. A very good albergue. Yeah. So you can stay right near the water and have an easy day, or you can push onward and do the second half of this stage, which is almost all inland, hmm. going up a little bit through the village of Fene, which has a couple of pilgrim-friendly bars along the way, and then ultimately on to Ponte Dueme. Anything notable to you along this stretch? The beach at Cabanas, of course. The route used to lead you right onto that beach. and I... Why did they change that? Well, Dave, <laughs> who, knows? who knows why routes get changed? Different mayors become elected. There are different local economic priorities and routes do get changed. I would seriously recommend anybody, as you come down to the roundabout before you go over the bridge into Montedumi, you can easily take a right turn and go down and look at this gorgeous beach. And of course, there are some very nice hotels down there, some of which are pretty economically priced. I mean, I remember that first time arriving on this white sandy beach Mm. And it was just glory. And of course, it was later in the day and the sun was setting. I still have that photograph and I still go back and look at it. And I thought it was gorgeous. And also, if you're stopping in Ponte Duerme, it's easy just to go and dump your stuff and then walk back over the bridge. And there's a three or four little chiringuitos on the beach there. So you can have a nice little snack and just enjoy the beach, enjoy the sea and watch the sun go down. It's idyllic. I'm still angry about that change. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) the reality is, when you look at the map, you think the Inglés is going to be along the water quite a bit. But the reality is different from that. There actually aren't that many opportunities to be on the beach, especially when you get past the first day. That's right. But Dave, we've got to remember that this route from Ferrol is not an historic route. Mm Mm-hmm. There are few records of people arriving in Farol by boat in the Middle Ages. And certainly, I don't think any records of the line of the route down into Santiago, whereas from Coruña, the line of the route has been recorded. It's a fair point. They feel free to change it depending, <laughs> on, where, depending on where you own a bar. <laughs> I think more about the pilgrims who talk about 
wanting to walk as the spirit takes them without thinking too much about guidebooks and other things who are missing out, who don't know what they don't know. Sure. In any case, we'll cross that big bridge into Ponte Dueme. It's a lovely town, mm. a cavernous albergue. What do you like about Ponte Dueme? Wow, the seafood. The seafood is spectacular. The church is very interesting, the Church of Santiago. They now do a pilgrim's mass. They give stamps, they give a pilgrim blessing. They give stamps at the end of the mass. I just found the place extremely friendly indeed. One night I was staying in the Bar Luis, you know, the Bar Luis that rents the rooms. Mm -hmm. You got a single room for 15 euros. And my goodness, I heard this uh, start of a Hollywood movie. And I looked out the window and they had set up an open air cinema right in the square in Ponte Dume. And I thought, this is like going back into the 1930s. Anyway, they got on with their film and I got on with my dinner. And thankfully, by the time I got to my bed, they'd finished. How the West was one had finished by that point. So that's a long stage. The second stage is mercifully shorter, 21 kilometers, Ponte Dume to Betanzos. And a big hill leading out of town first thing in the morning. It certainly wakes you up, that's, that's for sure. <laughs> Especially if you go up to see the church at San Miguel de Primo, yeah. Dave, which is a very beautiful church. Now, I've got to say, I've only done that once and I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> and some people, me included, find the second day on the communion glass with more bite than you expect. Because, of course, you're tired after the first day and it does go up and down rather. And you've got that almighty lung-bursting climb out of Pontidumi, but the views are well worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. I will say, in the spirit of what you said before, that you should just make your own route, I did that leaving Ponte Dueme the last time, and I followed the coast. You go to the train station in Ponte Dueme, you cross the tracks, you're on a trail, you end up right along the coast for a bit. There's a lot of road later on, but you still are able to cross a couple of beaches, Praia de Ber, Praia de Perbes, and you get to come into Mino at the beach of Mino. Now, Dave, yes. I thought you were a purist. I thought you were a purist. <laughs> you've, just, you've just abandoned the official roots. Well, you said there's no purity here, right? So I've... <laughs> and it's two kilometers longer, so that's bonus suffering on my end. <laughs> but no hill. The first time I walked the Inglés and I went into Mino, I even stayed in the albergue in Mino. I was blind to the beach. Mm. It's an exceptional beach in Mino, and pilgrims don't even come close to it if they're just passing through town. However, for the pilgrims who want to follow <laughs> the yellow arrows, <laughs> they still can. Call it a night in Mino. I thoroughly recommend it. So in your case, what else stands out to you? You two have labored and suffered and, and huffed and puffed up that hill. You've enjoyed the views and you've carried onward. So what else uh, stands out to you about this stage? It's where you get into rural Galicia and you see it in all of its beauty. I mean, there are bits of that stage from Pontidiomi to Betanthos where you could be in Devon or in Ireland or in Scotland, lush, lush farmlands. <laughs> and remember, it's only when you see the donkeys, I realize I'm not in, I'm not in Scottish farmland. <laughs> Very, very lovely indeed. And the people extremely friendly. Some pilgrims who are doing the Camino in Inglés their first Camino will see Horios for the first time. And they'll see Lavaderos for the first time. 
and occasionally the village women are still doing their washing at these communal washing points, the lavaderos, and it's very beautiful to see. And these are country people, they're still living off the land, like the crofters in Scotland, and they're still living off the land, and you see them working the land, they'll greet you as you go along, and I just thought that stage is very lovely indeed. Sean, what do people have waiting for them in Betanzos? The drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, cold beer. Firstly, it's a lovely city to approach. You're kind of quite up high and you can see it below you with the rear coming in towards it. So it's, it's quite a beautiful approach. And then you drop down the hill and you cross the bridge and then through the city wall. And then again, there's a steep pitch to get up actually into the city itself. And you walk out into a lovely plaza, unfortunately, with the main road running through it. But it's still beautiful with a church in the centre of the city. And it's, it's just a lovely place. I hear it's got one of the best tortillas in Spain. I don't know if that's correct. I don't like onions, so I don't often eat it. But I hear it's supposed to be pretty good as tortillas go. I must confess, I can't tell the difference between a tortilla espanol in Batanzos or in anywhere else. They're all the same. But don't tell people from Batanzos that. It does, <laughs> however, boast about the best albergue in Galicia now in Batanzos and it was closed for a while due to flooding but all fixed up now and pilgrims speak extremely highly of it. Unfortunately there's very little alternative accommodation. As numbers go up people should plan carefully as they walk the Camino Inglés. Dave, where are we with albergues in Batanzos? Do you know? Last I checked, there was a monastery that had opened up some beds. I don't know if yes. that was a long-term arrangement or just to compensate while the albergue was down to six beds for a little while. I don't know. I don't know. I'm waiting until about February, March to reach out to albergues everywhere to see what has survived and what the state of things is. So we'll see. But you're right. It's surprisingly few alternative accommodation possibilities in, in Betanzos. In addition to the municipal albergue, there's certainly a second church-sponsored mm -hmm. albergue. And I read in the local papers two private entrepreneurs were going to open an albergue. Now, whether the pandemic in the last year has stopped their plans, I don't know. And there was an increase in Airbnb beds mm. available, as well as the two more expensive hotels. The hotels are actually pretty expensive in Batanthos. Yeah. I think there's, there's two or three choices, but they are above average price, I would say. And I always think it would be nice to stay a little longer in Betanzos, and that would certainly be the case now as well. But we will carry on to the third stage, Betanzos to Hospital de Bruma, about 26 kilometers. I was there around this time a couple of years ago. In fact, I spent New Year's Eve in Betanzos and woke up and started walking around 8.30 in the morning. It was still pitch black, of course, because it's Western Spain. And I walked past some restaurants where everyone was dressed up and just getting out of the night's festivities at 8.30 in the morning. And Wonderful. a half hour later on my way out of town, a taxi pulled over in front of me so that a young lady could take care of some gastrointestinal issues along the side of the road. So that was my welcome to the new year. You sure you weren't in Glasgow in Scotland, Dave? <laughs> no, this was, this was Betanzo, so they had a good time and then a bad morning. What are your thoughts on this walk? From Betanzos, although it starts with a kind of a, a downhill section, then there is an early morning uh, walk up, <laughs> up a, a reasonably long hill. I'd, I'd say it's not as bad as the one out of Ponte de Worme, but it's a good couple of kilometres rise. But it's a quiet road. There's nice views back over the town and the, and the rest of Galicia. It's a nice, nice wake-up call. 
Well, once you're up, you're up. I mean, it's quite a <laughs> stiff, it's quite a stiff hill. But once you're up, you're up, and you see the metal statue of the pilgrim pointing the direction. You see that from some distance, and then you're walking through paths in the eucalyptus forest. It's very excellent, actually, in terms of country walking. And there have been a number of route changes in this section as well, leading into Presedo, and then especially after Presedo, where you have the hotly contested argument about whether you should keep going the old way past Casa Julia or the new way past the dam. Do either of you have strong feelings about which route is superior? Well, there's nothing historic about this route, as I said earlier. <laughs> the lady in the bar, Julia, is still jumping up and down because they changed the route away from passing her bar. But that was an almighty hill to go up from the bar, Julia. The new route is a gentler affair and, of course, shorter. But when I walked that and I took my time with it, I found some very, very old arrows. And, of course, speaking to locals, they said, ah... But you see, this the new route was the old route, was the original route, <laughs> which brings you out at the bar Avelina. And of course, in that bar, they say, I don't know why the bar Julia is so angry, because they took the route off as 30 years ago, and now we've got it back again. <laughs> the pilgrims just need to go along with this. It's fine, and it's very well waymarked, and there are no problems in this section at all. And it's now more accessible to people, because that gigantic hill is not there anymore. It knocked 2.8 kilometres off that yes. day as well, which is obviously significant on a what is nearly a 30-kilometre day. Before Presido, though, I think I've not walked since it was changed, but I have mapped it. There's a big section now on the road, which used to be off-road through forest tracks, which I can only see must detract from it. Although um, I think you get access to one or two more bars that you wouldn't have had access to before. So I can understand why they may have done it. The people in the bar say that the pilgrims were asking why that section of the route didn't pass a bar because they needed to get their breakfast. Now, I happen to believe that this, I think there's significant pressure. I believe the route will change again because the previous route through the forest was very lovely, really beautiful. Mm. And now you've got that long section along the main road and it does pass a bar, but who cares about that? So I think it may very well change again. I have walked the route through the woods since this was changed, and there's a turn there that is not marked anymore. Yeah. And so people yeah. do have to be careful if they want to take that approach and have a GPS track with them if they want total clarity. But it's certainly still very walkable aside from that. I didn't mention the one bar that thoroughly sticks out in my memory, which is the one right after Presedo, the Museo Gente No Camino, oh, yes. yeah. which is just a stunning place to pop in for a meal. And right on the route. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's filled with art. And they're very friendly and really, really pilgrim friendly and helpful to pilgrims. Mm -hmm. And anybody with difficulties, blisters or whatever, and need assistance, that would be the place to go. And eventually we make it to Hospital de Bruma, which is a historic spot. So for all of the issues with inauthenticity along the way, here is a nice burst of Camino authenticity. Well, there was a real hospital. <laughs> and a lovely preserved albergue in a, in a small village. The only issue is needs more beds. Well, it does need more beds. And there's been great talk about there being another municipal or private albergue. When the restaurant opposite the albergue opened up, that was a great boost to pilgrims because 
a local restaurant was having to deliver food that was <laughs> that was never hot. And do you know something? Carmen, the hospitalera in that albergue in Bruma, was born in the house, which is now the albergue. <laughs> it's just wow. amazing. Amazing. I suspect she's never gone far from Bruma in her life, actually. Hmm. And they're very, very helpful and very pilgrim friendly. And of course, up the road in Maison de Bento, you've got a couple of hotels, one of which is now providing albergue beds as well. And if a pilgrim is a completist and would like to not only walk from Ferro to Santiago, but also do the section from Coruña, this is where you would peel off. And the Hospitalero can show you the bus schedule. You walk over to Meson do Vento. It's very easy. Catch a bus into the center of Coruña where you can start walking. And this is what we call the full English day. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just a breakfast. It's walking from both Ferrol and from Coruña. Let's go full English then. Let's make the detour. And Sean, John mentioned before that you are the Karunya master. So take us there and tell us what we need to know. Well, I guess the first thing is whether you're walking the Camino Inglés or not, is Karunya is a beautiful city just to visit. So if you're going to walk from Karunya, it's worth taking that extra day, maybe on the front of your trip, just to enjoy Karunya and enjoy the beaches and the tapas and the seafood. It's just a lovely city to walk around. It's got great espionade. It's got the Torre de Hercules, the Roman lighthouse, which I think is 2,000 plus years old, Yeah, which you can visit and you can go up. It's just a beautiful city, although sometimes very wet, sometimes very windy. So if you're lucky, it can be absolutely fantastic. To get to Bruma from Coruña is, I think it's a 33-kilometer stage. Yeah. which is a long haul. But there is an albergue, a place called Segurde, which I think is 20 kilometers from Coruña. So you can split that day. And I believe there's also some private accommodation, although I don't know if it's directly on the route. I think it's not far from there, Sean. Yeah. The Casa Rural. And the new albergue in Segurde is, is beautiful. <laughs> it's shiny. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't stay there, but I called in when I walked through one year and it had just opened and it, it did look nice. Far better than some of the albergues that I've stayed in in the past. There's no doubt that Coruña is much more historic in terms of the history of the Camino than Ferrol. And the route itself has so much history, not just of the Middle Ages, but of the Napoleonic Wars and so forth. But I don't rate the route in terms of walking. It's just a straight line, basically. Once you get round the coast, which is quite pretty, but really you're in civilization. You're not out in the countryside walking along the coastline then you, you just walk up a, a great big hill for miles and miles and miles and miles until you come to that television mast and you're basically along the road to Bruma. And there isn't, for me, walk from Coruña to Bruma and walk from Ferrol to Santiago gives you the complete package. But if you're just going to walk from Coruña, if you've only got a limited time, I would say walk from Ferrol and leave Coruña until later in life. You may not agree with that. You may not agree. I find the departure from Coruña to be stressful. Yes. I don't know if it's changed, but there's no way marking in the city center. So it's tricky making it out past the bus station. Even when the way marking starts, it's still somewhat inconsistent in those opening moments. But I do like the walk along the river towards Oburgo, Oburgo. past the Santiago church there. 
And I enjoy the stretch past Sigras, where you have another church uh, devoted to Santiago, but it doesn't stand out in my memory the way that those stages from Ferrol to Betanzos in particular do. Well, you see, these places are steeped in communal history. Sigras was a medieval pilgrim's hospital. Mm -hmm. The problem is you've got, <laughs> you've got to walk between the points of interest. And the Camino there is not as picturesque as in other places. I suspect part of it is that it hasn't gotten the investment and attention because it falls below 100 kilometers. And because it's not receiving that same kind of attention, the walking experience hasn't been refined to the same degree that it has from Ferrol. So I suspect it could be a better walk. It just doesn't get that kind of attention. Around Sergudi, there has been a little bit of rerouting off of the road, along a stream and so forth, which is very pretty. So I think you're absolutely right, Dave. The more pilgrims who walk the route, the more development there will be of the walking paths and, and the routes. The first time I walked the Ingles from Coruña, which was in 2008, I used the CSJ original walking notes, which was the ones that John updated. We didn't walk along the estuary at all. Yeah. And I ended up going through a place called Cambrai, Absolutely. Which I then understood from John afterwards was something that they kind of just made up <laughs> as, as, as a way you could walk. It wasn't really an official part of, of the route at all. And it's only recently that I walked up past the airport and kind of walked the official way. So um, yeah, it's taken a while to find its feet, I think. But maybe it will get there because it does have that historic authenticity. I've thought a little bit about how for people who have done Finisterre and Muxia a couple times, maybe that becomes a nice, interesting way to shake up the ending. You know, walk Santiago de Coruña and wrap up your pilgrimage in a city. And I think people are attracted to the concept of walking at least 25 kilometers in your home country, mm -hmm. getting stamps and evidence of doing that, then walking from Coruña to Santiago, that's 75 kilometers, you've then got your Compostela. And then if they buy your guidebook, Dave, they can continue out to Finisterra and Mushia, and then you've got a great two weeks holiday, I think. Three years ago, that was my Camino was from Coruña into Santiago and then out to Mushia and Finisterre over six days. It was wonderful. Sounds like a good time. I'm, I'm ready to go right now. <laughs> but we're going to push on from Bruma. So we're, we're back in Bruma. The two routes have reunited. Fortunately, these days, there are albergues in Siguero. So we'll go 25-ish to Siguero. This route strikes me, a lot of these can be really broken up into two parts. And this one really stands out to me as two very different halves. The first half is following paved, quiet roads through just a series of small villages, like a new one popping up every couple kilometers. And then the second half is fields and a lot more dirt tracks. What's notable for either of you about this stage? I've got to concur that that's kind of the pattern of it. It is a very quiet road, so although there's a lot of pavement walking, it doesn't strike me as particularly dangerous. There are quite a few cafes along there as well in the various little hamlets you're talking to, so there's plenty of choice to stop for a morning coffee or a bite to eat. And then, as you say, you then come off the path and you start to go through some forest tracks, get out of the sun a bit if it's a hot day. It's different, different to the first three days of the Camino, but equally beautiful, I think. And very straightforward. It's easy walking Yes. on that day. It's almost like getting a rest. And I discovered Carolina in the bar Cruzeiro. Well, the first day I was at this lassie spoke to me in, in this broad English accent. And of course, her family had a delicatessen in a posh area of London. 
sold up. They moved back to the original village. They bought the bar. Her mother had died. Um, unfortunately, then her father died. And there was Carolina left with this bar and her grandmother to look after in this wee village. But she's made it. She's doing very well and is a great character and a great help to pilgrims, if I may say. And of course, round about there, there are a number of Casa Rurales and hotels, which give different options to people who want to break up the stage into different distances. And even a new Shunta albergue now in the middle of this stretch. Yes, I haven't seen that yet, Dave. Have you been to there? <laughs> I walked past it when it was being developed still, so yes, I have not been yes. there when it is in operation. Oh, well, worth a visit. I think it's quite big. <laughs> yeah, you would hope so, that if they're going to open new albergues now, that they would be operating with continued growth in mind. Of course. And some people on this stretch will detour into Ordes to make it to a small town with a few more facilities, since things are more limited than stretch. But I think for most of us, it's a quiet, peaceful stroll. And then Siguero is a nice enough town to spend the evening. I tell you, I wouldn't move to Siguero. I wouldn't move, I wouldn't move to <laughs> no. The park at the entrance is quite nice. There's a swimming pool. It's all right to pass through. <laughs> And I think the thing is, David, at that point, as you know, Santiago is within your sights. You're 15 or 16 kilometers away. You're four hours walking from the destination. The accommodation is great. These private albergues are very, very good indeed and have provided a great service for pilgrims. And I've never heard any complaints about accommodation in Siguero. And of course, the route out of Siguero has changed again. It used to go past the parish church where they employed someone to sit with a little desk and give a stamp to the pilgrims. And of course, they moved the route away from the church so that the pilgrims don't pass the church. And I tell you, the parish priest is hopping mad. (laughs) He should be. There's no advantage to the change. There's no rhyme or reason to it. Absolutely. (laughs) They changed the route into Saguaro as well, haven't they? Because it used to go along Mm -hmm. that very dead straight forest track for about 6Ks or something like that. And then it was routed alongside the autovia. Yes for some reason, which it was a little bit bendier, so it gave you a little bit of variation, but I don't know if that made up for the traffic noise. I think I'd rather carry on along the forest track. Sometimes as a guidebook author, it's hard not to take it personally. <laughs> Can you just <laughs> stick with the route? I'm tired of updating GPS tracks. Anyway, it's not about me. We've already started on this last stage. 15, 16 kilometers. It's an easy, easy walk on to Santiago. It's a lot of quiet back roads for much of the way. Does anything stand out to you from this walk? <laughs> well, I, 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 haven't, <laughs> I haven't walked the rerouted mm. section. So I've only walked the old section that went past the parish church, but I've kind of mapped the new section. It looks very quiet as far as I can see. I think you do end up on the, the N550 as you come into Santiago, which something had been rooted away from there mm-hmm. at one point. And I thought that was lovely out through the forest. And you eventually came into the industrial estate, but on much quieter roads. But um... It's not as bad as it looks coming into there. I was suspicious. But you do walk through this section that's called the Bosque Encantado. There's a nice... <laughs> There's a a witch hanging from one of the trees, or at least was when I was there last time. You wrap around a hotel, so there's a cafe that you can hit along the way. But it is a lovely wooded stretch, I will say that. And then you do still come out in the industrial area with Cafe Poligono, where they they do a lot of business. Absolutely. A huge amount of business. (laughs) 
There's nothing unpleasant, and the route to the industrial estate on the outskirts of Santiago is perfectly straightforward. I have to say, I find the whole Enchanted Woods thing the cheapest marketing, <laughs> really. So you should behave themselves. The route can speak for itself. It's very lovely through the woods and so forth. You don't need to hang silhouettes of witches up, up in the trees, for heaven's sake. This is all to attract Americans, you know, Dave Whitson. <laughs> it's all for me. I could do without the witch as well, but the forest, as you say, is plenty nice on its own. But it's pleasant enough, and then you do get a nice shot of the cathedral spires as you cross the hills into Santiago's outskirts, and you've got your last chance at a stamp at the small church, San Caetano. Mm. You even got a McDonald's on the way into town. Talk about appealing to Americans. So you've got a lot of <laughs> options. It'd be interesting to know, perhaps you know, Dave, does the McDonald's have a stamp? So I had... Tell the truth, you've been in there. John, I'm, I'm a vegetarian, so McDonald's doesn't oh, have a lot this... to speak to me. I went to a McDonald's in India once, and it was incredible. But I did have students in the past go to McDonald's and ask for a stamp, and they did receive a stamp. Wow. That was in Leon. I can't speak to every McDonald's, but in Leon, they were able to get one. I don't know if that would pass muster in the pilgrim's office if that was your only stamp oh, i don't think i don't <laughs> think they would mind these days that section into santiago is is another area that's changed isn't it yes but it's very very well waymarked sean mm. it's quite different from what it used to be yeah but it's very very well waymarked really straightforward and people i mean if you just keep your eyes open you'll be fine it's easier than it used to be. I mean, I will say the first two times I walked into Santiago in the Inglés, I got lost, which was embarrassing given how many times I have been to Santiago. <laughs> I don't know what it was. Now it's straightforward, although it is certainly holding closer to busier roads. Mm. But then you make it. As someone who had walked into Santiago from the Frances, coming in from the Norte Primitivo inclusive a number of times, it is a surprising little thrill to arrive in the plaza into Santiago from a different direction. Yes. It's surprisingly satisfying. The feeling of completion on the Inglés, when you arrive there in contrast to a longer Camino, does it feel different? Or what's going through your mind when you finish the Inglés? As I said earlier, my history of Caminos is they've only ever been a week at a time. So the, mm. the Inglés is as long as most other Caminos I've, <laughs> I've walked. But I mean, it's always a thrill to walk into Santiago, regardless of which route it is and whether I've walked that route for the first time or for the 10th time. It, it is a nice way into Santiago. You're in the old town for quite a long time when you come in on the Inglés and it's just really nice. I have no idea how many pilgrimages I've walked, but... What I'm aware of is I still get excited when I'm packing my rucksack and I'm setting off and I still get really quite emotional as I follow the footsteps of millions of pilgrims into the Plata Obradoiro and gaze at this magnificent cathedral that just seems to preside over all of Santiago. And it still gets me as much now as it did in the beginning. We set out to do this in an hour. It is coming up on one hour on the nose. Well done, gentlemen. There we are. <laughs> Bravo. Well, thank you both. This was every bit the pleasure I anticipated it would be. And I appreciate you both for joining me to talk about the Inglés. Dave Whitson, have a great new year, both of you. And you. You as well. Cheers, chaps.
try to stay on top of Camino news, but I somehow missed word that Johnny had concluded his prolific stint as a guidebook author. Sixteen Camino-related books, all a pure act of service to pilgrims. It's a remarkable contribution that he has made, and I know that he will continue to serve pilgrims, just in other ways moving forward. Still, sorry to lose him as a guidebook peer, though. His retirement occurs around the same time that Allison Raju, I'm afraid, passed away. Allison had been in poor health for a while, but one always hopes for a miracle until that door is closed. If you were a pilgrim in the early 2000s, odds are very good that you were working with a guidebook written by Allison Raju. I've said this before, but the first Camino guidebook I ever purchased was a combined guide to the Camino Frances and Via Podiensis, published by Cicerone, written by Allison. Years later, I would follow her book in my walk of St. Olaf's Way. I admit to feeling a, a thrill when I found her message in a pilgrim's book in a shelter in the mountains in Norway. When the first edition of the Norte Primitivo Guide came out, Allison wrote to Laura and me out of the blue just to offer us congratulations and praise on the book, along with some helpful suggestions. I actually beat her to the Via Francigena, walking it before she started working on it, so it was a thrill to be able to offer her some advice as she worked on her multi-volume series on that route, which is now being carried forward by Sandy Brown. All told, Allison spent 25 years preparing and updating guidebooks for pilgrims. Keep straight on, Allison. And in the wake of her passage, we recently learned of David Gitlitz's passing, which followed his wife Linda Davidson's back in 2017. David and Linda's The Pilgrimage Road to Santiago, The Complete Cultural Handbook, was another seminal text for me and I know for many of you as well, bringing the Camino Frances to life through their deep investigation of the history of practically every structure along the way. It was a great pleasure to speak with them about their memories from a pilgrimage life that spanned decades on the Camino Frances back in episode 23, and I'm so glad to have those stories documented for posterity. This past year has taken many lives from us, and the pilgrimage world is no exception to that. We've lost a lot of people that helped shape the Camino and other pilgrim roads in richly important ways, and their legacy will live on as we continue to build upon that foundation. And that's all for this episode. Thanks again to Sean Hampton and Johnny Walker. You can find their Camino Inglés guidebook through the Confraternity of St. James Bookstore at csj.org.uk. You can also find Johnny's memoir, It's About Time, A Call to the Camino de Santiago, available in print form through the Confraternity or in ebook form. And if you've never shopped the Confraternity's bookstore, you got to check it out. It's a great place to stock up on pilgrimage books. The Camino Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can reach me at CaminoPodcast at gmail.com or through the Camino Podcast Facebook page. And you can find episode production notes at DaveWoodson.com. Thank you as always for listening.